All right, so we uh, left at a pretty exciting point in the story last week in Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, Peter was arrested by Herod and was about to be killed, decapitated, and an angel of the Lord came into his cell and woke him up and told him to get up and get out of there. And he went back to the house of people that were the church that was praying for him and uh, told them the good news about what God had done in his life. And so they were celebrating. And then he left town, and that leaves us where we left off in chapter 12, verse 18. We get to uh, Herod. It's not Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the grandpa of this Herod that we're talking about. Herod Antipas was the uncle of this Herod that we're talking about. But this Herod was mean as well. And obviously because he had just killed one of the first uh, disciples to be killed. And so uh, now he was getting ready to kill Peter and he was upset that Peter escaped. So we'll take you to Acts chapter 12 and pick up there. It says, at daylight, there was a great commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. I told you last week that every three hours, they had a tendency to change guards. So at one point, Peter escaped during a three-hour period. And so the next soldiers come in and say, uh, where's Peter? And the other soldiers are, we're assuming that there's four because you'll find out here in a second that there's four that were held responsible for Peter. It says they're all trying to explain what happened and nobody knows. Verse 19, it says, After Herod had searched and did not find him, he interrogated the guards and ordered their execution. It was pretty simple. If a guard permitted a prisoner to escape, then that guard ended up getting the penalty that the prisoner was supposed to get. So Peter was supposed to be beheaded, and therefore four soldiers that we can read later on were executed. Uh, in verse 20, let me, let me show you exactly uh, where we're heading right now as we go to 20. Here's the map. That's Israel. That's the Holy Lands. you got the Dead Sea at the bottom. you got the Sea of Galilee at the top. You've got uh, Jerusalem, which is where it says the Mount of Olives, which is just west of the Dead Sea. But then we're going up on the coastline, and right in the middle of the coastline is Caesarea. Caesarea is uh, obviously a seaport city. And then just north of Caesarea is Tyra, which you can see at the very top of your map, uh, map on the coastline. And then Sidon is a little bit further north. That would be current day Lebanon. So now we were just in the whole Peter situation. We knew it was Passover, so it was April of 44 AD. Now it's a couple months later. It is actually August, August the 1st. Why do we know that it's August the 1st? Because not only do we have the Bible as a history book, but we have Josephus, who was a Jewish historian. And he is credible by most historians because he was very accurate in his details. Josephus was not a Bible author. He was 
a historian. And so now we know it is August 1st, based upon what Josephus has recorded. In verse 20 it says, Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, the two cities that were north of Caesarea. I didn't read the previous verse to that. It says, then Herod went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. So now Herod is actually in Caesarea, and the two cities that are north of Caesarea are is the one that he's communicating with. Together they presented themselves before him. After winning over Blastus, who was in charge of the king's bedroom, in other words, Tyre and Sidon, basically they were not wealthy, they needed support. Jerusalem was supporting them. Herod was a part of Jerusalem at the time. And they basically came to Herod and said, hey, we still need our support. What's the best way to get Herod to support us? Well, let's find an inside guy, somebody that has influence over Herod. And so there's a man that's in charge of his bedroom. His name is Blastus. And so they literally bribe this man to get to King Herod. They're doing everything that they can to put King Herod on a pedestal so that he'll do things for them. It says they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food from the king's country. On an appointed day, dressed in royal robes, that royal day would be August the 1st, according to Josephus. On an appointed day, dressed in royal robes and seated on the throne, Herod delivered a speech to them. The assembled people began to shout, it's the voice of God and not of a man. So now, literally, Josephus is reporting this, that this scene took place during a festival which was actually honoring Claudius Caesar. There's historical data about this specific speech and that the king wore a beautiful silver garment in honor of this occasion. We don't know what Herod said during this, this speech, but we do know why he said it. He wanted to impress the people. It says in verse 23, At once an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give to glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. <laughs> now, Luke wrote this, and obviously for the sake of brevity, he concluded it in one sentence, what happened here? But, as Herod was speaking, the people uttered to him, you are more than a god. You are a god. And instead of Herod saying, no, 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 wait a second. You're looking, you're looking a little bit in the wrong place. I, I'm a servant of God. He didn't say that. He received it. He received it as if he was a god. And God said, no, we're not having any of that. And struck him down. How did he strike him down? It sounds like all of a sudden worms came into him and just kind of like exploded with worms. But that wasn't actually the case according to Josephus' account. It would have been better. It would have been made a movie better out of it. But uh, he began to complain about intestinal pains. And uh, so they removed him from the crowd. They went back to his place. He suffers for stomach pains for like five days until he dies. And the cause of death was intestinal worms. This is all based upon history. I still like the way Luke does it. 
Now, so you have just come to the the close to the end of chapter 12 here, and we've pretty much seen this whole story dominated by Peter. It's getting ready to change right now, and now comes the exciting part of Paul's life, first known as Saul. It says in verse 24, But the word of God flourished and multiplied. Herod died, but the word, the gospel, continued on. It continued to grow. The church began to grow. So think about this. At the beginning of chapter 12, Herod seemed to be in control and the church was struggling and everything and losing the battle. Now all of a sudden at the end of chapter 12, it's reversed. Herod's dead and the church is doing well. God did that in one chapter. What was the secret? I still think it was because the church was back in the house praying. I think prayer is a big deal. Verse 25, it says, after they had completed their relief mission, remember they were collecting funds for Jerusalem, Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem, taking along John, who was called Mark. John, who was called Mark, we refer to him as John Mark. All right? This was the relief fund that they talked about in Acts chapter 11 that we discussed a couple of weeks ago. Now, there's other people that were actually with them. We go to, we can take the letters that Paul has written throughout the New Testament, and we can bring this into Acts, which we're going to do as we do this series. But if you go back to Galatians, Paul actually took Titus with him as well. Galatians 2.1 says, Then after 14 years I went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. So now you've got, you've got Saul, you've got Barnabas, you've got uh, Titus, and you've, you've also got John Mark, the four of them traveling together. Titus was kind of the, the Gentile representative because he came from the church of Antioch. They went from Antioch to Jerusalem, so they went from the north to south. It was about 250 miles, and they handed over this relief fund to the elders. We continue to look in Galatians chapter 2. Watch what happens right here. This is all happening in Acts chapter 12 and 13. Galatians 2 verse 2, it says, I went up according to a revelation and presented to them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those recognized as leaders. Paul goes from Antioch to Jerusalem to deliver the funds to the elders primarily to the leaders. This would be Peter, James, and John. He says, I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running in vain. Hmm. I want to make sure what I'm teaching is going to be accepted by these men in Jerusalem who are the original disciples. Or is what I'm teaching all for naught? He's seeking the approval of the disciples because he respects them. Verse 3, it says, But not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised even though he was a Greek. Luke, or Paul throws that in. I've got Titus with me. He's 
absolutely a Gentile. He's not circumcised. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. But we did not give up and submit to, the, and submit to these people for a moment so that the truth of the gospel would be preserved for you. Verse 6, it says, Now from those recognized as important, what they once were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to me. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter was for the circumcised. Since the one at work in Peter for an apostleship to the circumcised was also at work in me for the Gentiles. When James, Cephas, who is Peter, and John, those recognized as pillars, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They asked only that we would remember the poor, which I had made every effort to do. Here's what Paul did, Saul did, when he and Barnabas went back to Jerusalem. I'm teaching the same gospel that the disciples in Jerusalem are teaching. They're teaching it to the circumcised Jews. I'm teaching it to the uncircumcised Gentiles. Based upon what I'm teaching, these Gentiles don't need to be circumcised. That isn't the covenant anymore. They are free. They are not under the law that the Jews were under. Am I okay to teach this? If I do all this work, do all these things, and literally there's Jews that are following behind us saying, no, what he's teaching is a lie. I just need to know that you guys are on board with it. And it says right there, they got the right hand of fellowship. Peter, James, and John said, Paul, you're good. You're good. The only thing that we want you to do is don't forget us in Jerusalem. We need some support, help. If you're out among the wealthy people, continue to collect those funds and help us out here in Jerusalem because we need it. Paul got exactly what he needed. Just an approval from the three guys that were considered pillars of the Christian faith. <clears throat> now we look at uh, Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, we're talking now, we just jumped from uh, 44 A.D. to 47 A.D. In chapter 13, the church of Antioch is probably about seven years old at this point. In verse 1, it says, Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger. Niger is the Latin surname indicating that he was of a dark complexion. He's also known as Simon of Cyrene. Again, we talked about this. This is the house that Paul ended up staying in. It was also the man who carried Jesus' cross. <clears throat> Manian, a close friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, he was 
an aristocrat. He was wealthy and he probably was the foster brother of Herod, we believe. Herod Antipas, that would be. And he was uh, very close to the whole kingship. And then, of course, there was Saul. Verse 2, it says, And they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. The Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. Just like the twelve disciples that were sent off, the sent ones, their sending definitely had some preparation to it. Barnabas has lived with the experience of this church now for 17 years. There were 10 years in Jerusalem, and then the last seven years at the church of Antioch. For 17 years, he's been ministering to the church. And now they're getting ready to send him off. He was trained by the 12 disciples. Obviously, Saul lived in the experience of the church in Antioch for five years after Barnabas went and got him and brought him back and said, I need some support and help. The two of them worked together for five years. So he's trained by Barnabas. And then there's the other three brothers that were laid hands on. So now, here we go. You've heard about these missionary journeys of Paul. We're getting ready to start the first missionary journey of Paul, which happened in three years, 47 to 50 A.D. Actually, it was probably more around 49 A.D. He traveled a total of 1,200 miles on this first missionary journey, and he planted four churches. He planted one in Pisidian Antioch, Spent about three or four months there. He planted one in Iconium, three or four months there. Lystra, three or four months. And Derby, three or four months. Barnabas, Saul, and John Mark were all going to plant churches. Barnabas was taking the lead here. Now let me show you this map real quick of Antioch. They were in Antioch. They basically came down the coast and they went over to this island of Cyprus. They started on the east coast ended up on the west coast in Paphos. All right, you with me? In verse 4, it says, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. That's about 16 miles from Antioch. You saw that. They came down the coastline, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. That's about 60 miles offshore from Antioch. Remember, Cyprus is the island that Barnabas was from. It was natural for him to go to his place of birth in the very beginning. Now, Cyprus was an island that was uh, heavy in copper, thus the name Cyprus. And we assume that Barnabas would sell off some land, some property there, since that's where he's from, some kind of copper field. And he made funds to help the Jerusalem fund. The whole island itself from east to west is about 140 miles And it's an island that's made up mainly of Greeks. Yet, it still had a large Jewish population because of the dispersion. Verse 8, or verse 5, it says, Arriving in Salamis, a town on Cyprus, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. This became common for Saul to bring the gospel to the Jews first. He would always go to the synagogues first, and then he would go out to the Gentiles. And there's a reason for that that you'll see in just a second says they also had John as their assistant. This would be John Mark. When they had traveled the whole island as far as Paphos. That's on the west side. 
uh, let me show you this. This is not in this is not in your Bible, but if you actually go to the island of Cyprus and into Paphos, you're going to see this whole area, which is a monument about Paul and Barnabas. And this right here, by tradition, by tradition, it says this was the whipping post that Paul was chained to and whipped. Now, it doesn't say that in Acts, but the, the island tradition says that this occurred. And we can look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11.24, and Paul says this in his letter to Corinth. He says, Five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. So like over the next 10 years, Paul gets beaten, whipped five times. I'm assuming, based upon the island tradition, that this is one of those times that Paul got beat. Forty lashes minus one. It says, when they had traveled the whole island as far as Paphos, they came across a sorcerer, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. If you remember back in the Gospels, we talked about, about Barabbas. The word bar actually means son of. Abbas, meaning Abba, he was the son of the father. Now you've got bar Jesus, the son of Jesus. It's interesting because he's a sorcerer. But Jesus was a very common name back then. It was the form of Joshua at the time. It says, he was with the proconsul which is the governor, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man, Sergius Paulus, summoned Barnabas and Saul and wanted to hear the word of God. But Elemus, this was also the name for Bar-Jesus, it says, but Elemus, the sorcerer, that is the meaning of his name, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Literally, the governor calls in Paul and Barnabas to hear the good news, and they're the, delivering the good news to the governor, and the sorcerer interrupts them in the middle of their message. It seems like a common theme in those days. Verse 9, it says, But Saul, also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, stared straight at Elimus. Ha <laughs> ha! That had to have been a look. You know, I, I've already got a picture of Paul as I've read through Acts, and you've read through Acts, and uh, he... Obviously, the, the guy's been whipped, he's shipwrecked, and all these things have happened to him. But dude, if he looks you straight in the eye, if he literally just looks you straight in the eye, and he says, you are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. You, son of the devil, an enemy of all that is right. Won't you ever stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord? If I was a lemus, I'd just wet myself. I mean, here's this guy, thinks he's good because he's part of the governor's staff. He says, now look, the Lord's hand is against you. You're going to be blind and will not see sun for a time. And immediately, a mist and darkness fell on him. Here's the sorcerer 
And Paul's like, you're deceitful. You're a mockery. You're of the devil. You're going to be blind. The hand of God's going to come on you and you're not going to see for a while. And he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Paul not only rebuked him, but God put a curse on the sorcerer. Verse 12, it says, Then when he saw what happened, the proconsul believed because he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So now you've got Paul and Barnabas teaching right here, but then they just saw the hand of the Lord move on his sorcerer. Paul said, this is what's going to happen to you, and it happened. I mean, it was obvious in the room. So what does he do? He becomes a believer. I believe the good news, the gospel that Paul and Barnabas are sharing. And guess what? He becomes the first Gentile convert for Paul and Barnabas on their missionary trip. Then we get to verse 13. It's probably now the summer of 47 AD. It says, Paul and his company set sail for Paphos and came to Persia and Pamphylia. But John, John Mark, left them and went back to Jerusalem. Oh man, that's kind of a big verse right there that Luke really doesn't like describe a lot, but we get that as Paul writes his letters, what actually happens. Ten, ten years later, Paul will mention being involved in three shipwrecks and spending a night and a day in the open sea. That's found in the letter to Corinthians, 2 Corinthians that is. And Luke mentions himself, he mentions nine sea voyages and only one shipwreck, which occurred after Paul had written 2 Corinthians. So the shipwreck is not explained here in this part of Acts. So adding up of all Paul's journeys on the sea, they estimate that Paul traveled 3,000 miles on the sea. So at this point, Luke begins to use Saul's Greco-Roman name, which is now Paul, his Jewish name being Saul. He's getting ready to change the audience from the Jews to the Gentiles, and he is now referred to as Paul instead of Saul. Now, I said it was a significant note that John Mark left them. Let me show you a map. They actually went from the island of Cyprus, Paphos, and they traveled up through the Mediterranean Sea up to this whole northern land area, which was the region called Galatia. Galatia, yes, where we get the, the letter, the book of Galatians. And here's what I'm going to do. Got to get through chapter 14, but after chapter 14, Paul actually writes his letter to the church at Galatia, and we're going to go through Galatians as we do this. We'll pause on Acts and go through Galatians. So probably in about two weeks, we're going to start working our way through Galatians. So now the journey from Paphos to Perga is, a comp is accompanied by a shipwreck. John Mark is with them. A shipwreck happens. John Mark says, I'm out of here. I'm not doing this. Now, we really don't know why John Mark left Paul and Barnabas. I know this. John Mark was close with Barnabas, and he wanted Barnabas to take the lead, but now Paul's taking the lead. All of a sudden, there's a shift in leadership here. There's a shift. Paul's taking over. He's probably the stronger personality. And, you know, Paul's teaching this 
different message of free, free from the law and to the Gentiles. And John Mark didn't grow up with that. I, I just don't, I'm just not sure that's the right message. Plus, he's young. Paul's adventurous. Let's get on the boat, man. And they shipwrecked. And all these different things are happening to John Mark. And they're getting ready to go through these mountains where there's robbers and everything. I, I'm out, guys. John Mark says, I'm gone. You think about that for a, that's for a second. You know Paul and Barnabas is calling is to go on this missionary journey. Was it John Mark's calling? Maybe just that part of being on Cyprus was John Mark's calling. There was, watch this, there was a disagreement among the men. And they parted ways. They parted ways. Barnabas was a little bit sensitive to John Mark. Paul's like, get him out of here. If he can't handle this, we're going a different direction. Here's the beautiful thing. Never saw it coming. But eventually, Paul and John Mark make up. Eventually, as we get through the story, Paul and John Mark end up back together again and having credibility. It's a great story. So, uh, Look at Galatians chapter 4. In all these setbacks that we've just talked about, Paul was also sick. Galatians chapter 4 verse 13, 14 says, You know that previously I preached the gospel to you because of a weakness of the flesh. You did not despise or reject me, though my physical condition was a trial for you. Paul's physical condition that he had some kind of sickness and it was tough on them doesn't say what it is. On the contrary, you receive me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. I don't know. Did that have something to do with John Mark leaving? Verse 14, it says, They continued their journey from Perga and reached Pisidian Antioch. Again, look at the map. You'll see that as they arrived at the south end of Galatia, they eventually had to travel through the mountains travel through the mountains. It was about 3,600 feet above sea level, and the men must cross over the Taurus Mountains to get there. That's a very dangerous journey. The roads are not safe, and they abound with all sorts of thieves and robbers. The rivers in this area right here were also known to overflow and cause many to drown. When Paul writes about the dangers and robbers, from rivers in 2 Corinthians, he's undoubtedly speaking about this trek right here from the south to the north. It took approximately 10 days for them to get to Pisidia. Now let's move on. It says, On the Sabbath day, on the Sabbath day, they went to the synagogue and sat down. Where is the first place that Paul and Barnabas went? They went to the Jews in Pisidia. After the reading of the law, the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue, sent word to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, you can speak. So here's what happened. This is typically what happened. You go into a Jewish synagogue and they pull out Exodus, Leviticus, and they start reading the law to you. Sounds like a pretty exciting Sunday morning, right? 
They start reading the law, and then they say, do you have anything to say? Paul kind of goes, yeah, I do. I have something to say. And guess what Paul begins to do? Remember back when Stephen, the first martyr back in Acts, preached a message, and then he got stoned for it? Remember that? Remember the guys that stoned him? The Pharisees? They all took their robes off and handed them to Saul. And Saul stood there as Paul and listened to Stephen's message. When he said, do you have anything to say? What do you think Paul said when he raised his hand? He took Stephen's almost exact message and repeated it. Literally, this is what we have in the next section here. It says, they asked him, do you have anything to say? And Paul stood up and motioned with his hand and said this. Then, I'm not going to read this to you because uh, we're, we're short on time, but the whole thing right here is, he reads the law, he talks about Abraham, he mentions all the things that Jews are like going, yes, 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 because Paul understands that he is a Jew. He knows the law better than anybody. He was, he was the man, and they all knew it. And so he's teaching this lesson, and then all of a sudden he gets down to the prophecy, he gets down to the prophecy about there's a Messiah coming, a Savior coming, and you have to be looking for that Messiah and Savior. And, Messiah and Savior. and so then all of a sudden, now he switches and he says, he's already come. But all you fellow Jews, all you fellow Jews, all you proselytes, so the Jews were the ones that were actually born in Israel, and they were circumcised on the eighth day, and they were literally Jews. Then there were the proselytes. They were Gentiles who believed in the same God. They believed in the same God, and they too, because they wanted to be a Jew, became circumcised. These were men that believed in God, and as adults, they became circumcised. And then there was a third party. There were the God-fearers. They were the ones that believed in the same God, the same, the same whole faith, yet they didn't get circumcised. I'd be in that party. <laughs> Adult thing, no. So anyway, here's the deal. Now you've got three, three different groups of people that Paul is preaching to in his audience. And he comes to them and he says, the Messiah... He came back about 17 years ago and your group of people crucified him. Yeah, you all said that he wasn't Messiah. So his whole message was, hey, we're on the same team, we're on the same team. Abraham, da-da-da-da-da. But wait, the Messiah came and you missed it. You totally missed this thing. He was the one that Isaiah talked about. In Isaiah 53... And you totally missed it. But here's what he did. Okay, I'm not going to condemn you, but let me tell you the good news. I'll point out two verses in that whole section to you. Verse 39, it says this. It says, Everyone who believes is justified through Him from everything that you could not be justified through the law of Moses. Did you hear what I just said? 
I just said, God gave us the law. Yeah, you're Jews, everything else. There's a Messiah coming. And Jesus, the Messiah, fulfilled the whole law. He did everything perfectly without sin. And if you believe in Jesus as the Messiah, you too can be free from the law. You too can be justified of all your sin. Just as you've never sinned before. All you have to do is believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He's the Messiah, that He's the Savior. He's saying this to a Jewish Gentile audience. <laughs> Watch. He goes on, he quotes Habakkuk. It's the same message that Stephen has preached. He's obviously heard it. Verse 42, it says this, as they were leaving, the people urged them to speak about these matters the following Sabbath. Hey, that's really good stuff. Can you come back next Sunday? Well, sure. You want me to talk about Jesus? I'll talk about Jesus all day. He says, after the synagogue had been dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who were speaking with them and urging them to continue in the grace of God. Again, the audience is made up of Jews, proselytes, and God-fearers, and they're saying, we really enjoyed, we really absorbed, we really understood what you taught us. We need more teaching. Verse 44, it says, the following Sabbath, almost the whole town assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul was saying, insulting him. Here, now you had three groups of people. Now you got two. Those that believed that Jesus was the Messiah and those that didn't believe that Jesus was Messiah. Those that wanted to stick with the law and their own self-discipline those that wanted to believe that Jesus was the Messiah and He sent a Holy Spirit to live inside of them to do this for them. You realize that's not much different than the church today. Are you tracking with me? I mean, you, you, you literally, today, you've got, well, you've got the non-believers that don't believe that Jesus is Messiah. I'm not saying that's the church. Those are just lost people in general. But then you've got the other group of people that believe Jesus is the Messiah, yet they want to absorb the law and do the law and follow the law and put the law on everybody and make everybody do the law. That's you know, it's like that's even the, the Gentiles. That's that's the Gent they weren't even given the law. The law was given to the Jews. So now they're like, you gotta do this and you gotta do this if you want to be a responsible Christian, if you want to have this is what your job is. And, and Jesus said, No, 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 no. We did that for hundreds of years and you were not successful with it. Just let me come inside of you. Holy Spirit, I'll do it for you because you've already proved you can't do it on your own. So now you've got two separate sides here. Watch this as we close up. I skipped down to... Uh, i got to do verse 48. Luke's making me do verse 48. I went to a volleyball game Monday night, and he's like, man, are you going to get verse 1348? Yeah, I get it. It says, when the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and honored the word of the Lord, and all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. That sounds like a predestination verse. 
all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. Now let me back up. Because what Paul did here is he quoted Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, where he said, I have made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the end of the earth. The message was not only intended for the Jews, but it was also appointed for the Gentiles. So all of you Gentiles that are going to believe it was appointed for you back in Isaiah. Don't take that verse out of context. And watch, it says, The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jews incited the prominent God-fearing women. <laughs> the the God-fearing women. These were the faithful women that held on to the law. That held on to the law. We're going to use them because they'll get the message out real quick. The God-fearing women and the leading men of the city. There's a few men that everybody like looks up to, has them on a pedestal. We're going to get them on our side and we're going to run Paul out of town and just demolish what he's been teaching here. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their district. Anytime that you get expelled from their district, they usually get beaten with birch rods before they're expelled. It's part of a formal process of saying, you're done here, you're leaving this city. Well, watch. But Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. A church had begun there in Pisidia. Paul had set these people free with the truth of the message. You're not under the law. You can't fulfill the law. It's not written for you. You're free. You have grace. Jesus died on the cross. His blood was poured out. You're forgiven. You're holy. You're redeemed. You're a new creation. You're all these things. You're adopted. What great news is that? That's why you're here today. Unbelievable. He totally changed their lives and made them holy. Not that He looks at them holy. He made them holy. You're holy. You're redeemed. You're forgiven. You have every spiritual blessing, Paul says from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. You've got it all sitting right here. I hope you walk out of here and you know it. And the whole time, I still believe, you know, Paul later talks about that thorn in his side and everybody says what it is. He's got some kind of sin or something. I honestly believe it's the stinking Judaizers that come behind him and say, what he's teaching is a lie. I mean, if literally... If I walked out of here and somebody comes in here and starts calling me a heretic and the things that I'm teaching and trying to teach you to get under the law, ooh, I'd be bothered. That would be a thorn in my side. And this happens all throughout Paul's journeys. Teach him to be free. Teach him to be free. Oh, wait. The evil one's going to teach them just the opposite. 
Father, I pray that my friends here know freedom in you. The freedom is not in the law. That the freedom is in the good news, the gospel that you, Jesus Christ, died for our sins. You made us clean. You made us pure. You made us holy. You sanctified us. You redeemed us. May we walk in that. May we just smile in that this week, knowing the truth that Paul was teaching this church at Galatia. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.